Amen. Aren't you thankful that it is January the 10th before we see weather like this? Amen. And uh, it's been great. Yesterday was a tease, though, wasn't it? It was gorgeous. And it will be gorgeous again come May. Hey, listen, I'm a healthy guy. I really am. But uh, up until last year, honestly, up until last year, the last time I went to the doctor, uh, it was for a physical. And the doctor and I really spent most of the time catching up on old news where you know, we've been going to him for a long time. We talk about his kids and my kids, and, and uh, we have both agreed that it had been a long time since I'd been there. So he checked my medical records and found out that it had been five years since I had been to see him, and that was for a physical. I said, well, how long has it been since I've been here for anything other than a physical? And, and you had to go back 11 years. I don't get sick, yet last year, in the last 12 months, I found myself in the hospital two times, which is for bizarre, I don't know about bizarre, but for unusual things for a bizarre guy. I'm just telling you. It was really, it was just really unlike me. So now my wife still thinks a year afterwards that, that I'm sick and decrepit and about to fall apart. I'm really okay. My point is I don't get sick. So for me to end up in the hospital, it's not like me. Just recently, I, I thought I had a sinus infection because I had been uh, doing a little bit of traveling with uh, a group of ministers. We were in Phoenix, and it happened there. For, and then it lasted about a week and a half. And then I was in uh, Oklahoma with the birth of my second granddaughter. And then I was in Ohio preaching revival. And so I was just in different parts of God. And I'm thinking, this is a sinus infection. This is a sinus infection. So I, I took right medicines. I consumed bottles and, or packages and packages of Alivert. I got rest. I drank plenty of liquids, but it, nothing was getting any better. I was treating sniffles, and all the time, come to find out in the hospital, there was an infection deep inside me. I was in trouble, and I didn't even know it. We all tend to do the same thing spiritually with our spiritual health. We know something isn't right, but we ignore it. We, we, we know something doesn't feel good in our soul, so we kind of self-diagnose instead of going to the great physician. And we do the same things we did before, thinking that by doing those would bring us closer to God, make us better, but we don't get any better because we're not addressing the real issues deep inside us. We treat our sniffles while all the time there's serious infection spreading in us. A lot of us are in serious trouble spiritually, and we don't even know it. This year, we're going to talk in our staff as a, as a staff. We're going to be talking a lot about spiritual health, our own spiritual health uh, as a staff, the spiritual health uh, individually as a group. And then we're going to be talking about our spiritual health as a church. So I want to talk to you about this idea of spiritual health. So what I want to throw out at you, first of all, is that God created you and I with great spiritual capacity. He created us in the original creation with great spiritual capacity. In Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were, were there and, and uh, had met each other and married, and he looked around and said, man, this is all, I don't know if he said man, but he said, this is all good. And what he was saying is it's perfect. His work for that day was complete that man and woman lacked nothing. Their spiritual capacity was off the charts. And yet in chapter 3, you find where they sinned. 
And sin put a ceiling on their spiritual capacity. It, it was just, they, they couldn't rise any higher than that ceiling of sin. And until they dealt with the sin and the impact of sin, the full weight and impact of sin on their life. And the full weight and impact on your life is far, far more than spiritual. God created you a physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual being. And sin and the weight of sin impacts every, all of those five areas. And so if you just get redeemed in one of those areas, you're still going to struggle with your spiritual capacity, your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity. God wants to redeem all of us, not just part of us. And so in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And originally they were created to strive and thrive in the presence of God. But when they sinned, we see them hiding and continuing to sin. And we see that their sin affected every part of them. It affected the way they think because now they hid. It affected the way they felt because the Bible said they were ashamed. It affected their social interaction because now they didn't get along so well. They started blaming each other and they even blamed God. When God was trying to figure out, you know, say, what's going on here? And that God, Adam said, well, the woman you gave me. Man, their social interaction was all wrong. Spiritually, they were now dead because of their sinfulness. I'm simply saying that sin affected every core area of their being. And yet, when we come to church on Sunday, we think the only thing that God is concerned about is the spiritual. And that's true, he is. But he's not just, he's just not concerned about one part of you. He's concerned about all of you. So when we think, by the way, when, when Jesus Christ came, his plan of redemption included redeeming not only your soul, it included redeeming your mind in the way you think, it included redeeming your emotions, your heart, and the way you feel. It included redeeming your, your social aspect or your sociability, the way that you interact with people. It, it, he came to interact or to redeem you physically so that your body would become the temple of the Lord. He wants to affect his redemption through Jesus Christ. He wants to affect every area of your life. But we think sin only affects us on the spiritual side, and it's that spiritual component and, and I'll be okay that, that if I can sin, it doesn't affect the way I think. If I sin, it doesn't affect the way I feel. If I sin, it doesn't affect the way I get along with my spouse or my children or, or my friends or my co-workers. If I sin, it doesn't affect my body. And we know that all of that is false. Sin affects every part of you. From head to toe, sin has repercussions. Not just in the spiritual compartment or the spiritual box that we carve out for God on Sunday morning. So mentally, sin affected the way we think. By the way, you can just go through the first 11 chapters of the, of the book of Genesis. You can see all of it pan out in the, in the story of Adam and Eve. But then you can go through the, the first 9 or 11 verses of the book of Genesis and see where it socially sin affected the relationship of Cain and Abel. Mentally, sin affected the thinking of the men building the Tower of Babel. They thought they could build their way to God. Physically, sin changed everything. Man would now have to work the earth by the sweat of his brow. The woman would have pain during childbirth. And, and there would be tension between them sin affects our relationship with God but perhaps nothing affects our spiritual condition 
like that emotional side of us, like that emotional part of us. Emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Please listen. Emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Because what happens is your emotional immaturity will put a limit on your spiritual capacity. Let me see if I can illustrate. Let's pretend for a moment that this, te- this stage is one big, large container. And if you were to put it in volumes, it is over 58,000 cubic feet. If we were to fill it up with water or we were to fill it up with our spiritual capacity. All right? So there's like a wall here and there and down to the back and just it's rectangle. I didn't factor in the, the arc and the circle conference of half a circle. I didn't do any of that. I just did length times width times height, and I was good with that, all right? So 58,000. But you know what? If our container had a hole right here, and we were going to fill our container up with gold, you wouldn't put, your, your container wouldn't be able to hold any more gold than this level right here, because it would just keep funneling out the hole. Got the idea? Spiritually, your capacity can be 58,000 cubic feet. But if you're emotionally immature, whether you're emotionally immature, your emotional immaturity is down there, or whether it's here, or whether it's somewhere on the, on the plane, wherever your emotional immaturity is, that is the ceiling on your level of spiritual growth. You say, well, I will just read the Bible more. Can we be honest? How many of you keep reading the Bible more and you still struggle with your anger? Say, well, I just go to church more. Sing with Don and the praising. Man, weren't they kicking it out this morning? That was awesome. If I do that, then it's all going to be good and I'll get closer to God. You may momentarily feel closer to God, but your emotional hole in your soul Hasn't been healed, hasn't been fixed. You haven't matured past this level. And so the ceiling of your spiritual growth becomes here when God intended it to be way up there. Does that make sense? So your, 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 I thought I would try to illustrate this. this. This really sounded better in my head than it did because I'm not tape-worthy. But let's just say for the sake of the rest of the sermon that your spiritual capa- your emotional capacity is at this level and God's spiritual capacity for you is way up there at the top of the ceiling. But no matter how much God pours into you because you react wrongly, because you are still emotionally immature, which God wants to redeem, everything that God pours into you, you lose out of the emotional holes that are still in your soul. Does that make sense? Now... I'm not saying you're psycho. Amen? So we go, is that a trick question? I I don't really know. Is that true? I don't know. You're not psycho. All of us grow up with dysfunctionality. I had wonderful parents, still do. You know about my father and my mom, and they are just awesome, and I love them absolutely. I could not ask for, for any better, but every parent, grew up 
Every child grows up with some dysfunctionality in the home. Carrie and I tried to be the best parents we knew how to be, but I guarantee you there was still dysfunctionality in the home. We all have dysfunctionalities. We all struggle with our own immaturity, and we all kind of hit the point where we think we don't have to grow anymore emotionally. Generally for men, that's when we kind of lock in on the girl we're going to marry, and we kind of think, okay, I've peaked out right here, you know? I'm not saying we're psycho. I'm just saying we need to grow up in Christ. And God's got a, got a plan for that. You, we all have emotional challenges. We're all emotionally dysfunctional to some degree. But, but you have to understand that God wants us to be mature in Christ. Now, the Bible speaks about being emotionally mature in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible says this, Get rid of all bitterness. That's emotional immaturity. Rage, emotional immaturity, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You can go back to verse 30 and find another list. You can back up in the verse and rewind a little bit and find more emotionally immature things that we're supposed to put off. And how many of us still struggle with insecurity. How many of us still struggle with being left out? How many still struggle with, with this whole thing of conflict and instead of handling it appropriately or right, we fly off into anger or rage or, and, and then it just kind of seeps into bitterness. And the problem is it controls you and it limits the level of your spiritual capacity when God wants you to enjoy all the blessings of 58,000 cubic feet and you just choose to live at this level because of emotional immaturity. The Bible also tells us how we are to be mature in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says this. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces. In other words, if you're a believer, this is the emotional qualities This is the spiritual qualities. This is the mental qualities. This is the physical qualities. This is the, uh, I left one out, social qualities that God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to produce in your lives. It's one fruit, many different aspects of it, but love, joy, peace, peace, peace. You say, well, you don't know the tension in our home. I don't. But I know that the Holy Spirit knows about the tension in your home, and even through the tension in your home, he wants to produce the fruit of peace in your life. He wants to redeem your your harshness, your anger, your slandering words, and he wants to replace it with his love and his joy and his peace and his patience. Oh, that's a horrible word. His kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these. You got the idea? The Bible is full of us being mature in Christ because we're to be like Christ, who is the ultimate 100% redeemed emotionally, socially, physically, spiritually, and, uh, and relationally. And so how do you know if you, are, if, if you need... To mature emotionally. Let me just kind of ask you 10 questions very quickly. If you do God's work to satisfy you or others, not God, or do you do God's work to satisfy you or someone else 
instead of God. So number two, when you pray, are you really praying that God would do your will and not surrendering to his will? Are you busy as a Christian and you're so busy, you're so involved, you're so attacking it and getting it done that you're doing things that God has never asked you to do? You see, a sign of spiritual maturity is that you know what to say yes to and you know what to say no to. Do you demonstrate Christian behavior so significant people will think well of you? Is that the only reason you act Christian in church and then when you go to work on Monday, you kind of put on the, the camo, you know, so nobody knows who you are? Do you ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear? You just pretend that they don't exist? Emotional immaturity. Do you deny, do you deny the past impacts Impact on the present? Do you deny that past sins may still have consequences in your present? Emotional immaturity. And I could go on. You've been married to your wife for 10, 15 years. Does, is your marriage more like Ephesians 4 or more like Galatians 5? Is it more like the fussing and the tension and the, and the bickering and the fighting? Or is it more like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness? You say, see, this deal of being mature in Christ means I'm not only to be spiritually mature in Christ, I'm going to be emotionally mature in Christ, mentally mature in Christ. That's why we got to read and understand our Bibles. i got to be socially, that's what redeemed in Christ because that's, that's where interaction comes in and all of that. It, you got the idea? This, wherever this is, the emotional, the level of your own emotional immaturity, you've got to address it, acknowledge it. You've got to be honest right here. You, you can't be acting like you're way up there when everybody else sees your attitude and knows that your capacity is just down here. Does that make sense? So what do you do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think everyone can enjoy emotionally healthy spirituality by taking two initial steps. The first step is you got to be honest. The first step is you got to be honest. you got to kind of assess where you're at. Are you more like Ephesians 4 or Galatians 5? you gotta be, you got to assess where you're at. The first step is to be honest with God, Psalm chapter 139 and verse 32, 23 says this, Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my ancient thoughts. Basically, the psalmist is saying, Okay, Lord, here it is. Probe, poke, look around, check it out. Every part of me. The word heart there is not the organ. It, it, it's kind of the Hebrew word that involves all that you are. Physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, all that you are. He says, search me, know me, test me. Search me. Another phrase, another verse, a parallel passage says, search my heart, O God, to see if there be any wicked way in me. 
So you first got to be honest. To find the second step, let's turn quickly to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus went to his childhood home of Nazareth to worship in the synagogue. He was invited to speak. It was the custom that, that they would have a song and they would have a hymn and, and, and the, the leader of the synagogue would, would give a homily or a, a little lesson and then they would invite others to read a portion of the Old Testament. And Jesus was invited to read a portion of the Old Testament and he chose to read Isaiah 61. So before you can look at Luke 4, you got to understand Isaiah 61. Don't turn there. Just listen. You can find in Isaiah 61 the Hebrew nation was taken into exile because of their sins. God had made it clear judgment was coming and judgment would fall if they didn't obey him. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the children of Israel continually committed the same sin after the same sin after the same sin over and over by worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations. In chapter 61 of the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes a precious promise. God offers hope to those hopelessly exiled away from their homeland. And he promises a deliverer. And what kind of person will it be? Listen to the description that he writes in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1. Two and three. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And by the way, that's economically poor and that's spiritually poor, mentally poor, emotionally poor. You got the idea. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and the prisoners will be free. By the way, that little text goes back to Leviticus chapter 35 where God instituted the year of Jubilee. It was every 50th year. And on that 50, 50th year, every debt was canceled. Wouldn't you like to have a Jubilee? I mean, every debt was gone. If you were a slave, you were given free. If you bought land from somebody, it was given back. It, it was kind of God's way of, of helping the society so that, so that the rich didn't get richer and the poor didn't get poor, that everybody had plenty. It wasn't communism, but it, it was just kind of helping that the building of society. As far as we know, Israel never practiced the year of Jubilee. And some Bible scholars think that the 400 years of Babylonian captivity is a year equates to the time that they skip the year of Jubilee. I don't know. It's what they say. Look at verse 2. And he sent me to tell those who mourn that the, spirit, that the time of the Lord's favor is coming with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festus praise instead of prayer in their righteousness. It's a precious promise of a coming deliverer who, re, who will redeem not only humanity, who will redeem creation, but also who will, will redeem the nation of Israel through the Messiah. Got it? It was a time of national disgrace and national deterioration and national just captivity. And in this time of gloom and doom, he promises a savior. He promises one will come. Fast forward to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in the synagogue. All eyes are pierced on him. He's done several miracles by now, and his fame is spread throughout the land. His reputation as a, as a teacher and as a scholar, even though he had no formal training, was, was certainly well known. He was kind of, at this point, at least in his ministry, kind of a, a quasi-celebrity. People wanted to know him, meet him, be with him, understand what he was 
all about, but they wanted to see the miracle. That was the deal. And so Jesus was invited to read from the Old Testament. And at this point in the the synagogue service, he was invited to read from the Old Testament prophets. So they handed him the scroll. And he took the scroll. We'll pick it up at verse 17. And he opened it up to read the scriptures. It was his choice. And Jesus chose to read from Isaiah 61. This tells us he knew the scriptures. And the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, verse 17. And he rolled up the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's what he read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, that's Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 was a well-read passage to every Jew. Every Jew who was in in captivity understood Isaiah 61. It promised total redemption for the total man, for the total world, and the total nation of uh, of Israel, all right? And so, for he has anointed me to bring good news. That's the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus was basically saying, I'm not only here to usher in a year of jubilee, I'm here to usher in an age of jubilee where the debt of sin can be forgiven, where where the curse of sin can be broken. Where those chained in the prisons of sin can be loose and set free by the power of the gospel. Because the Lord's favor had come. Look at the next verse. Absolutely incredible. He rolled up the scroll, handed back to the attendant. He sat down and every eye was fixed on him. Because in that day, you stood to read the scriptures and you sat when you taught the scriptures so right now i should be sitting and then if i read luke 4 20 to you if i was in the synagogue i would stand to read the scriptures out of honor and reference to to yahweh or the jehovah god god of creation and then i would sit down as i'm as I, i'm teaching and so that's what jesus did and they all focused intently on him to see what he would say and verse 21 is one of the most amazing verses in the entire bible and he began to speak to them And he says, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He said, I am the fulfillment. They got it. They understood it. They absolutely understood what he said. He said, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. I am the Messiah. I am the Redeemer of Israel. I am the one who can break the power of sin. I'm the one who can ransom broken hearts. I am the one who can set captives free who are chained in the bonds of sin. I am the one who can provide forgiveness of sin. I am the Messiah. And all eyes were just riveted on him. They knew exactly what he said. So here's Jesus in their presence. And yet, they did not choose to follow him. Verse 22 says this. It says, and everyone spoke well of him and were amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. But here's the doubt and the unbelief. How can this be? They asked. He's not the Messiah. Isn't he Joseph's son? 
And how many times do we come into the presence of Jesus? Whether it's through praise and worship or Don in his car just doing the tomahawk chop as he's, you know, listening to that song. How many times do you come to a church service and God deals with your heart and says, listen, you're down here. There's things in your life you've got to deal with. There's anger. There's resentment. There's insecurity. There's, there's people pleasing. There's all these kind of immature things that's putting the lid on your, on your spiritual capacity of being all that I want you to be. Will you deal with those things? And we're in the presence of God and we speak well of his son, Jesus, and we're amazed by what God's doing. But we leave never choosing to stay in the presence of Jesus. See, at the end of the day, and here's the second step. The first one is you've got to be honest. The second step is that you've got to live in the awareness that Jesus Christ is with you. Not just on Sunday morning, but he's with you. He's with you when you're there by the computer screen and nobody else is around and you have a choice at what to look at. He's there with you on the job. And you can be in his presence on the job. He is with you, his presence with you. There's a story, and I believe it's in, it's in the Gospel of John, and it's about Mary and Martha, and we all love Mary and Martha. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but it's Mary, who was a friend of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Martha, and his brother was Lazarus. Lazarus was dead, and, uh, and they were, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but this was another time where he was coming to their house to teach, and Martha was in the pigeon clamoring and clanging and, and getting the biscuits ready and the gravy ready and the, and the bacon. And she was getting it all ready. And she was just working hard. And here's Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just sitting there, soaking it all in. Martha is going around in a flurry. Mary is in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is in the other room, but Martha chooses to be with pots and pans and biscuits because in her mind, that's proving her love for Jesus, and so she chooses that instead of being with Jesus. Then Martha starts clanging the pots and the pans a little better, and she says, come on, Mary! Hello, need a little help here. Table one, let's go. Nothing. Still in the presence of Jesus. Finally, she gets a little fired up. She's in the kitchen doing all the work. She's doing something that was culturally accepted, but Jesus at that moment did not ask her to do. And see, here's the deal. A lot of us are like Martha. We are so busy doing that we're, we're happy being in the next room. But the better, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better. She's at the feet. She's in the presence of Jesus. I do not have the counseling degree that Dr. Caldwell has. All I know is that I believe that total redemption of our heart, of our mind, of our will, socially, mentally, physically, spiritually, and I think I left one out, but you got them, is found when we stay in the presence of Jesus. When we live in the conscious awareness that he is with us. 
Theologically, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere, or God is everywhere with us. But that, there's a difference in us living with the conscious awareness that we are in his presence. So where are you at? Where are you at on this emotional maturity thing? See, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with our health. I really am. Your health, my health, our church's health. I want us all to be emotionally healthy so that we can be spiritually mature. I, I want our, I didn't realize this until just now that I could do this. I want our emotional capacity to keep going up and to keep going up and to keep going up that we start laying aside silly sins that just keep tripping us up because we're emotionally immature. You say, well, I'm just like everybody else who wants to be like the most immature people in the world. God calls us to grow to maturity. So my question for you is, are you more like Ephesians 4? Are you more like Galatians 5? The good news is that Jesus, the Messiah, is here today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? And maybe on the first Sunday of the year, man, it, it, it just might be good. I know it's snowy and bad outside, so we might as well just take advantage of this opportunity God's given to us. It might be a good time just for all of us come to the altar, start the new year off right confess sins that need to be confessed ask God to search our hearts so that we can lay our burden down so we know what it is to live in the presence of the risen Lord that we would have that that we would have spiritual health this year in every area of our life not only just spiritually on Sunday morning but emotionally and mentally and physically and socially that God would just we'd open up our hearts to God for God just to lift us up to a greater capacity kind of like the docks at the Sioux when they're going from the lower part to the higher part they open the doors and the water rushes in so it lifts the boat up to a higher level but you can't go to that higher level in the Sioux until the doors are open. you got to open the door of your heart and say, Lord, here I am. Examine me. I want to start this year off right. Search my heart, O oh Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Maybe it's time to put to rest some issues from the past and give those over to the Lord. Let this be a year where you determine to grow in your faith. Would you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Father,